0: The reading for today is from Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thank you, Chris. Uh, Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Um, My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. Um, And uh, just by way of introduction there, I just want to give you all a heads up. If you're new or if you've never uh, heard me preach before, I have a stutter. So just want to make sure that you all know what that is. Um, It'll kind of come in and out as we go and um, have a couple of things just to kind of make us aware of as we start. So um, first, let me just throw out a, a something. Um, every week um, when we get started here at like, it's 10, 10, o'clock, something like that. And this room is sparse and, uh, and we're kind of trickling in. And so uh, this is your lovingly kind of, you know, little hand slap, if you will. But no, just want to encourage us as a congregation, believe me, I am right there with you. If I Um, didn't have to get here way earlier, I'd be doing that, and I know we all, uh, those of us who have kids and different things going on, um, there's freedom and grace, but let me lovingly ask us and encourage us because really, um, to be here, to to show up on time, just because every part of our service, if you might have Notice, we don't always take a time to explain these things, but we really intentionally walk through the story of God um, through our service. The high church, the historic church, has really done that. From the call to worship, um, really the first words that we speak are an invitation to come um, before a holy and righteous God. And then uh, we have a time of of confession, and then we have a time of of response and of thanking God, and then we come under His word, um, and we hear the good news of Jesus and then we respond, and then we're sent out um, every week, and we take communion every week as an integral, as the climax of that story. So just again, that's why we do it, that's why we start, and, and there's, there's, a, there's an intentionality between um, all of it, all that we do, okay? So are you, are you feel, feeling loved right now? It's okay. Um, okay, hug your neighbor, turn to your neighbor, and say you're loved. Um, Another thing I really want to make sure that y'all, y'all know about is some of you guys might have noticed um, last week we had a group of about 20 plus people here from Northern California. It's a church that we used to go to and serve at and they came here to partner with us. It brought our median church age up by like 30 years. It was great um, having them here. and so, um, But it, that's also something though to, uh, to celebrate. Our church has been growing not only in numbers but in numbers. Uh, you know age age bracket and things like that so it's uh it's, it's it was fun though they came they served at our school here at Safford they were out here for 2 days they did a bunch of construction work that we certainly under my leadership, could not do. And um, they came in, we, we were able to build and rebuild and paint and do some stuff, and it was great. The school was really excited, and a bunch of teachers and kids were out here. So I just wanted to share um, with you, because that was really on behalf of you, on behalf of us as a church, that they came and served and served alongside us and learned from us. So thank you for um, uh, your partnership in that some of you hosted and we're a big part of that so just want to give that update okay i wasn't really supposed to give any of these announcements by the way so um i'm just kind of doing doing it here um flying but um this one uh we do have a slide for and i want to make sure that y'all know about is easter is next sunday and um I just want to share with you what we're doing on Easter Sunday. We did this uh, last year. It was our first ever Easter as a as a church um, uh, that formally met, and it, it was an incredible time. I know even for my family some of our neighbors and friends and family members who had never been to a church service came on Easter and 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 it's kind of one of those days that a lot of people know about and are like yeah sure you know we'll hit it you know one once a year and um you'll even notice next week that um the sash that we've had up since uh, the beginning of of this of this 40 days anticipating Easter time we've had a purple sash that that reminds us of the royalty of God with us that Jesus the king has come and is with us and then at or a Good Friday service um, there will be a red sash to remind us of the the death of the king laid down for us but then victoriously he rose from the dead and we will celebrate that next Sunday and that sash will be white and it will remind us as every Sunday reminds us that all of life is all for Jesus only because he's not dead anymore. Because he's alive and he rose from the dead, that in a sense, every Sunday is an Easter Sunday, if you will. We are, we are being reminded. In fact, just some of you guys might not know or you might know Seventh-day Adventists who, who wonder why we now celebrate the Sabbath and why we worship on Sunday. It's because the, 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 the time of rest was at the end of the week until Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week so that his resurrection life defines our lives and it defines our week. So every time we come and we gather and we worship, in light of the resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week so that going forward all of creation all of life is shaped by the resurrection of Jesus it's not even Easter yet and I'm getting pumped okay so so all that to say we're gonna come we dress up you don't have to but it's a day that we just did is set apart from every other so we'll be dressed up we'll have all the kids in here the kids are gonna come forward they're gonna, they're gonna sing a song we're all gonna participate there will be food after it's a great day to invite your friends and your neighbors if you're a student, Student here, and your families in Phoenix, and all that. Then you can invite them down to come, and it's a good day. And um, but this is also a good day, Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. So let's um, let's get into it together. Um, Let me just pick us up. We're in the last. Sunday of our four-week sermon series that we've been in. Okay, we typically go through books of the Bible as a church. We were in uh, the book of Mark for about a year, and then we uh, hunkered down in Judges, and we got just got out of that. And some of us are still recovering from that. It was intense. And now we're in a four-week um, series, gospel-centered and outward-focused. And then next week will be a standalone. We're going to just specifically look at the resurrected life of Jesus, and then um, and then we're going to start Titus. Uh, the week after next, okay? So that's just a heads up on where we're going. But this week, as we get into our last sermon on gospel-centered outward focus, this is what we've been doing. It's this, that a lot of times we don't connect who we are and what we do, or, or we don't maybe um, knowingly see how it all fits together. So we've taken some time to pause and to say, what is true of God And then what does he declare to be true of those who are his creation, his people, and then more specifically, those who have put their faith in Jesus? What is true of you? What does God declare to be true of you? And then from there, how does that flow out in your life? that there's always a connection between who we are and what we do. And so we looked at the image of God, the imago Dei, that, that all people, if you're a human, you're made in the image of God. And then from there, um, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you're a restored image bearer of God. And then from there, as a restored image bearer, that informs and defines how we relate with everyone, even the people we don't like, even the people we don't understand, even the people that don't like us, that we engage people as image bearers of God. And then we talked about adoption, that because through faith in Jesus we are adopted sons, of, sons and daughters of God, we now care about foster care and adoption, and we move toward those who are fatherless and those who, 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 don't, uh, who don't have a family of their own, that we engage that. And then last week we talked about restoration, that God is a God of restoration, that Jesus declares, I am restoring all things. And so as his people, we engage in the work of restoration. So this week we're talking about heralding, that God is a God of words. God is a God of spoken word. And therefore he has called us to intentionally use our words and it, the irony is not lost on me that a guy with a speech impediment is up here going to spend the whole sermon talking about speaking and words. Um, and I didn't even think of that, really, until I started to prepare for this and was like, man, God, you're funny. And um, so with that, we need help, right? Lord, help us. So let me, let me, uh, let me pray and ask God to lead us through this time, uh, ask his Holy Spirit to speak to us and to shape us through his word. Lord, we uh, love you and we need you. And we come before you right now humbly asking you to speak to us. Lord, let us, um, uh, Lord, do a work among us. I don't know what we all individually need to hear this morning, but uh, I, I know that you have a word for us, that you are a God of words, that you have spoken and things happen. And so, Lord, I pray that that will happen this morning as we come under your word. As we, as we said earlier, we stand in awe and reverence of your word. And, Lord, let that shape and define and inform our words. Lord, we confess that we can sometimes be flippant, and I pray that you will convict us where we need to be convicted and empower us where we need empowering. We pray these things, and we trust in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um. So some of you may have seen the movie uh, in 1997 that came out, Good Will Hunting. Some of you may not have uh, been born yet, but maybe you've heard of it. Um, Matt Damon and the late Robin Williams were in in this movie together, Good Will Hunting. I personally love the movie. I actually kind of connect with it to some degree. I'm not a genius that went to MIT and anything. That's not where the... Connection relates for me, but um, right we find movies that we can kind of relate with in it, and, and something kind of sticks out to us well there 's this incredible scene where Sean, who's like a counselor, played by Robin Williams, is just hanging out on a bench, talking to Matt Damon's character. His name is Will Hunting, hence the name, Goodwill Hunting. So Will is there, and he's just kind of talking, right? They're just kind of, you know, sh- shooting the bull, talking about life, and they're hanging out on this bench. And Will is kind of just, matter of fact, sharing about his life. And he's sharing about his own life in the foster care system and his own abusive dad and how some of the words shared with him and he's again it's just kind of matter of fact he's like yeah you know he would give me a choice between you know the belt or the fist or whatever else it would be and he would and you know i i I typically chose the fist just to kind of you know stick it to him and he's just kind of talking though matter of fact and he's talking and talking and then robin williams character sean in a moment just says uh it's not your fault will and then Will just kind of goes on, and, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And he goes on a little bit, and then, and then Sean interrupts him and goes, no, Will, it's not your fault. And he goes, I know. And then he, he continues, it, no, it's not your fault. And, 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 and Will jumps up from the bench, and he uses some choice words, but he essentially says, don't mess with me. Not you, Sean, don't mess with me. And then all he has to say again is, it's, it's not your fault. And Will breaks down sobbing, and, he, and they embrace, and, and, and they're just, and he's saying, you know, it, it's, and, and he speaks words of truth into his life. And it's a picture of the power of words. And, and, and maybe, like Will, many of us just go on flippantly, and we say stuff that we need someone else to kind of speak into and say, man, are you hearing yourself right now? Or are you, What you've accepted as normal That because of sin, because we've turned our backs on God, we live in a broken world. And a lot of times the words that flow out of our mouth, the words that maybe some of us have had spoken into us, into our identities, and that translate into our spoken word, into others, perhaps into our children, we just kind of go on and take for granted. Let this be a moment for us to stop and to remember that God is the God of words, that word belongs to him. And so what, how we're gonna go through this sermon like we typically don't do is we're gonna, we're gonna read through a ton of scripture this morning. So I encourage you, um, I forgot to ask if you need a Bible, um, so I'm gonna go ahead and do it now. If you need a Bible, slip your hand up high and um, and. Keep it up, and somebody will get you one. También, si necesitas la Biblia en Español, solamente diga Español y levanta su mano. Somebody will get you a Bible in Spanish. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and understand in their own language. And if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you, okay? We want you to keep it, um, write your name in it, underline stuff, ask questions, okay? We want everyone to have... A Bible. And so the way we're going to go through this though so this morning is we hit on a bunch of scripture to understand the word of God and what words mean to God. Um, we're going to have it all up here on the screen and as we read through it specifically this first part in Genesis 1 let me encourage you to um, perhaps even close your eyes or watch and engage but listen to the word of God talking about God's words. Because words are powerful and we see it from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 that from creation the authority of God's word is on display. In verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1. And God said let there be light and there was light. In verse 6. And God said let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters From the waters. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night and let them be signs for and for seasons and for days and years. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God said, and it was so. Do you have that kind of authority with your words in and of yourself? Like, pause for a moment and consider. We can grow numb. We can forget who we're dealing with here. But Almighty God uses His words to create. And God said, let there be, and it was so. And then the value is also declared in God's words that God sits back and says, and it was good. At the end of every day, God created this and that and he said it was good. And then God said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created woman to be with man. And God said it was very good. So God declares with his words he creates and then he he, he, uh, ascribes And gives value and worth and dignity with his words. And this is another verse that we quote often here when we read the scriptures from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. It says the grass withers, especially here in Tucson, right? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of God is trustworthy and true, powerful, enduring forever forever. That's why we stand when we read his word, because it is set apart, his word. And in fact, all throughout the scriptures, in Psalms and in Proverbs, as you read, there's this, there's this, there's this sense that God's people, what do they do with God's word? When God's people hear his word, it, it actually sets them apart. It says they tremble consistently, constantly, God's people tremble at the word of God. I honestly think this is a little bit of an indictment on you and me in our day today. I confess we have tons of Bibles on our shelves at home, right? We, and, and maybe sometimes we get a little too, um, you know, flippant with the Bible and we just kind of take it and we don't really understand that this is God's word. But man, when we read, when we come before his word, Not only standing on Sunday mornings, but understanding this is God's word. This is truth. This is what he declares to be true. And yet words are not always good, right? We know this. When sin entered into the world, how did it come? It came through deceitful words. That Satan came in the form of a serpent. And he spoke lies. To Adam and Eve, the first man and woman who God gave identity and purpose to. God said, this is who you are. This is how you should live. And then Satan creeps in and twists the word of God. And he says, did God really say if you eat this that you will die? And then they twisted. They didn't understand his word fully. They said, well, if I touch the fruit of just this tree, I'll die. And they believed the lie, and there's an exchange, and they took and they ate that words that are broken and full of lies and deceit translate into actions that are devastating. And I know that a lot of us in here have believed lies, that we believe lies spoken to us, sometimes our identity, perhaps from even a loved one or a parent or a a coach or a teacher that says something about you. I think I actually just... uh, coached my son's first baseball game last night um actually a guy here uh, a young single guy doesn't have any kids in the game if you will but is is coaching along with me and then another friend and we're coaching together and we talked from the very beginning what do we want to get out of this what do we want to and a lot of it was man we need to help shape these kids character through how we treat them through the words and the tone that we use with them the expectations we have i know that for me um a lot of times really the words of coaches or perhaps again friends we believe lies or songs right whatever it might be I I shared this a couple weeks ago that I was with it took one of my daughters in the car I kind of zoned out and the song was going it took her intuitive mind asking me dad what about this song it says some words that don't seem to correlate with who we are through faith in Jesus and I said man hey be quiet no I I thanked her and said wow that is convicting you're right and we we and we talked about the the words of this song and and that we need to do that words are important but because of sin we're shaped negatively through broken words so God doesn't leave us there But God, through His Word, has made a promise for thousands of years that He would make new what has been broken. And look how He does that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Think back to what we read in Genesis chapter 1. God's spoken Word creating. Well, in the very beginning was the Word of God. But the word is not just an abstract idea like the Greek um, philosophy of logos or logos or logos or however you want to say it. The the idea in logos is that it's an all-encompassing truth that's kind of mystical and ethereal and out there. But according to the scriptures, no, the word is a person. Verse 2, it's a he. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The very source of knowledge and life, the Greek philosophy is kind of close, right? It gets it a little bit. Lagos, this idea, but it puts it out there. But here we see, no, the word of God that was in the beginning. All things were made through him and for him. And down in verse 14, we see it come together a little bit more. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's spoken word over all of creation. Light is light because God said so. The waters are separated by earth because God said so. Sin entered into the world because lies were spoken, God's word was twisted. And God's people believe those lies and have shaped our lives accordingly. But the good news is that the word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Guys, let this not go past here. Jesus, what comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Does the eternal word of God coming and dwelling among you There's a mystery here. I don't want to overlook that. I don't want to miss that. But if you're struggling to understand what the word of God looks like, what the importance of words look like, look no further than the person and work of Jesus. And if you remember, I'm going to just rattle through some verses. When we preached through Mark, this was over a year ago... In the very beginning, Jesus uses his words to make an announcement. He says, the beginning of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It said Mark began with a birth announcement, the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. There is a word of proclamation. And then remember how Jesus teaches? Do you remember? Everyone's in awe because he teaches as one, how? With what? Authority. And what's the root word of authority? Author. Author. From the very beginning, the original language, the Greek of word of, of, of authority means that you that Jesus taught from the original stuff. It means he's not kinkos, he's not he's not hijacking stuff, he's not plagiarizing, he's not he's not just copying what he hears and right. But no, his, he teaches because he knows because he is the Word because creation came through him. And let's just see the authority of Jesus as he speaks in Mark chapter four. It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he rebuked his followers because they were afraid. And then down in verse 41, they said, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's a good question, right? You'd want to ask that. Jesus is asleep. This crazy storm is going on and he gets up and how does he rebuke it? With his words, he says, peace, shalom. In essence, it's not supposed to be this way. Be the way I created you to be, waters and wind and rain. Be still. And it obeyed him. Because he made it. And then in the very next chapter, in Mark chapter 5, this man possessed by demons who was naked and foaming at the mouth and crazy like psychotic scene going on here and he's all over the place and he's, and they had in the, in, the, in, the, in the townspeople if you remember they, they put shackles on this guy and he would beat people up right? and people would go in like I got this and they would come back with their head hung low because they just got beat up by a legion of demons and so this guy was on the outside of town and no one went and talked to him because they were afraid of him and he would break these iron shackles that were on his hands and his feet and, 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 and everyone stayed away and Jesus comes up and this guy at the mouth, like comes running at him. And what does Jesus say? Stop. And he stops. And there's this exchange going on. And with his words, Jesus says, authoritatively, leave him. And he frees this man from the bondage of demonic oppression. There is great authority in the words of Jesus. In Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10, you see this incredible exchange. I'm not going to read through all of it, but essentially Jesus is walking with his followers and this Roman centurion, which means that he leads hundreds of soldiers, comes running up to him and he says, Jesus, one of my servants is laying ill, he's sick, he's dying, heal him. And Jesus says, okay, I will come with you and I'll stay with you in your house. Right, Because we've seen up until this point that Jesus lays hands on people and heals them, not because he has to, but because he shows that he is a God who is close, who lays his hands on the broken, who doesn't stand far off and throw lightning bolts at our issues and problems, but he enters in. But in this case, his authority is revealed because the Roman centurion, this right who anyone not a Roman citizen, the Jewish people would be afraid of and angry at and would hate, but Jesus authoritatively, responds to him and says, yeah, I'll go ahead and come to your house. And the Roman centurion, showing his understanding of the authority of Jesus, says, no, no. I command all these soldiers, I say come and they come, I say go and they go, I say jump and they say how high, but you have even greater authority. So if you just say with your words, be healed, I know that my servant will be healed. And Jesus commands and commends his faith and he says, Go, you will find your servant healed. And it was so. And the Roman centurion goes, and sure enough, Jesus' word, as is always the case, is true. He heals someone from sickness from afar. Are you growing in your awe of the word of Jesus? Perhaps most spectacularly, we see displayed in some of the Gospels, most clearly here in John chapter 19, When Jesus is hanging on the cross, the cross that on Friday we will spend a whole time understanding more clearly, in the the moment of greatest pain and shame and darkness, Jesus says, it is finished. Tetelestai, the Greek word used, that when somebody owed a debt, when that debt had been paid in full, a stamp was stamped, that said the debt has been paid in full. It is finished. So that in that moment of apparent defeat, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he victoriously declares the effects of sin and death are done and finished. And he breathed his last and said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. Having declared victory over the lie and the sin and the effect of death that shapes so many of our lives today. And then when Jesus victoriously rose from the dead, he displayed his power and authority once and for all. And then what did he do with that? What does he do with that authority? Does he hold it and coddle it? Just say, yeah, you know, it's good, bye, I'm out of here. No, he gives, some of us maybe are familiar with what's referred to as the Great Commission, But let's read it now with maybe new eyes in light of the authority of Jesus displayed in light of the authority of God creating and making and declaring with His words and then the Word of God dwelt among us in flesh. Jesus. And then He declared victory with His words as He hung on the cross. And then He rose from the dead and what does He say to His followers? He came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, the same authority to create, the same authority that said essentially shut up to the storms that were about to sink the ships, the same authority that essentially said shut your mouth to the demons that were foaming and coming at him, the same authority that said be healed from afar, the same authority that said it's over He said, is now with me. And what do I do with that authority? I commission you. Go. Go now and use your words. The words of life to counter the words of deceit and lies and death that are prevalent in the world around you. Go and make disciples. And then what did he say he's going to do with his authority? He said, I'll be with you. I'm with you always go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. Now there can be a pendulum swung, okay? So we, well, I just spoke on this in a college ministry a couple of weeks ago, and it's important to point out that this is not a tweet. It's not at the end, that it's, he didn't have 120 characters, and so we can't, we can't remove or distance the Great Commission from the 28 chapters before it. When Jesus says, go and teach all that I have taught you, he means everything. He means the Sermon on the Mount. He means everything in the 28 chapters before about how to live as a follower of Jesus, about how to live this kingdom life in our work, in our play, in our, in our, in our conversations, in our home, and everything that we do. Okay? And I think we hammer on that pretty heavily here as a church. But let's not swing the pendulum so far to miss the importance of the spoken word. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Go and preach the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Go and baptize. Go and teach everything. And I am with you. Gospel-centered and outward focus means that if you have come face-to-face and put your trust in Jesus, God the Son, the Word became flesh, dwelling in grace and truth, then that word now empowers and equips and compels and commissions you and me to use our words to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we see that even more clearly spelled out and fleshed out in Romans chapter 10. I'm gonna rattle through some more verses here, so sit and engage and consider, because I guarantee you that if I announce, hey, we're having a sermon right now on evangelism, we'd have even fewer people here, not just because of spring break but because of the fear and perhaps even the abuse to some of these things that's been done. And we'll get to some application points, some action points, because I know that some of us are introverted in here. Some of you, I should say, rather, are introverted. I'm like a golden retriever, okay? I admit it. I'm extroverted, and so maybe some of the way we talk about evangelism is easier for maybe more extroverted people, but that's never an excuse or an out, okay? As you understand the good news of Jesus proclaimed over you, transforming you, as the song we just sang, you have been set free. Free to engage, free to share, free to speak. And this is what it looks like in Romans chapter 10. The verse that we read is our scripture reading. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call, speaks. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And through him you have life eternal. But how are they going to call on the name in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? By taking out your co-workers' trash and by bringing cupcakes and by doing good things, and I don't want to speak pejoratively against those things because there are good works of God displayed in all that we do. Again, we if you wonder if we preach on that, I mean, Basically listen to almost any sermon and we're hammering on. There's a shirt out there that says all of life is all for Jesus. Taking out the trash, making cupcakes, whatever it might be, engaging your neighbor, being a nice person, being a good person is the work of God. Restoration in all of life. But that is not separated from proclamation. Sometimes we need to use wisdom and discernment and how we go about it. But how are they to believe in Him In whom they've never heard. And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? Not this kind of preaching, okay? I am not your hired mouthpiece, by the way, okay? Some churches go about it this way if you did a bad job on choosing one, okay? This isn't just like, yeah, the the pastor, we pay him to preach, so we're going to have an evangelism week, and we're going to make this whole big deal and bring your friends so I can share your faith with them And, uh, you know, that's not how this works, okay? We are all called to engage and to share, yes, differently, in different contexts, in different times. You can share your faith and your story way more effectively with your neighbor than I can. Okay? Are, Are we hearing this? So preaching is not just this. It's in our lives, as we're going. When Jesus said, go, it's as you're going, in your life. Use your life, use your demonstration, use your work, and use your words. And how are they to go unless they are sent? You've been sent, Matthew 28, you've been commissioned. And how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's beautiful. Unless we misunderstand what's happening, again, just really practically, if you're wondering, well, I don't know, where do I start How do I engage my neighbor? How do I engage my coworker? I'm a teacher in a public school. How do I share my faith there? We were right here in a public school doing work, okay? We weren't out with a megaphone. We weren't holding signs, thankfully, amen. We don't do that. We weren't out here doing all kinds of stuff. We were engaging and working. But as that, over the two days where we were here working, a number of teachers came up and said, as a fellow Christian, thank you. As a fellow Christian who's praying for opportunities to share my faith with my students and my coworkers, as a fellow teacher who is not allowed to initiate conversation, but if a student or a coworker initiates with me, I'm allowed to go there and share, so I pray for those opportunities. Said, thank you. It's so good to hear there goes those Christians again in a a newer and better light than is often used. And that should be encouraging and sort of funny and also sad. But here's what's happening, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This whole chapter is incredible. But just these verses in verse 20. This is what's happening when you and I engage somebody to share with our words the good news of Jesus. We are ambassadors for Christ. But not just ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, perhaps you've been here week in and week out and you've heard these messages. You hear a stand. You hear, sometimes maybe you even hear my voice trembling. Sometimes tears are, are on the verge. Sometimes when, when your own parent or your own family wants to share the good news of Jesus with you, it is because something mysterious is happening. And I admit in our age of, of enlightenment This sounds kind of weird and we don't talk about these things, but something supernatural is happening. That hardened hearts unable to hear what is otherwise foolishness and offensive, that God the Holy Spirit softens your heart to hear the good news of Jesus, God imploring you to turn to him, to repent and believe. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, God is imploring you and saying, come to me, all you who are sick and weary and burdened, for I am the source of life. I created you. I breathed life into you. I have given you an identity that is good and true and beautiful that has been distorted. Turn and believe. And if you're not here, thinking those things, perhaps you're a Christian and you're wondering, as I shared earlier, how in the world I am, how do I, like Moses, you say, you say I, am, I, am, I am slow of speech, I don't, I'm fearful, how do I share my faith? Well, take courage, because God uses our foolishness to implore other people through our words. Isn't that incredible? That is a high calling. That God could use whatever he wants to bring his good news forward, but he chooses to use the words of you and me. Often anxious, introverted, scared, fearful, stuttering people. He's transforming hearts and lives through our conversations. And the last verse I want to share with you is one that means the world to me. As a 19-year-old freshman in college, Yeah, I was slow. I was 19 as a freshman, if you're doing doing the math. No, as a 19-year-old freshman in college, I heard this passage, and it empowered me like fire in my bones. This I heard this, and it has transformed me. And I encourage you, write this down. Because Paul, right, the great apostle, the great preacher, when he goes forward and you wonder, well, how do I do it? How do I share my faith? What does it look like? Let this be how we engage our neighbor He says this, When I came before you, brothers and sisters, proclaiming the testimony of God, I didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And my message and my what? Speech. Were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom or the eloquence of men, but in the power of God. Man, take encouragement that I don't know what this looks like in your life. I know for me what it looks like, like Charles Spurgeon did, every time he ascended the steps to preach the word of God, he said, Holy Spirit, speak through me. I can give these people nothing. They need to hear your word preached to transform their hearts. As one pastor I love, Robert Gelinas, an African-American pastor of a great multicultural church in Colorado that we try to learn a lot from, says every time they read the scripture, he says, says, may it it awaken our, our minds and let it flow from our lips and let it find a home in our very hearts. The word of God. What does it look like to share the good news of Jesus? If nothing, it means turning to what we know. Read what we just read. Read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Perhaps so it also means like Sean and Will in that exchange. It means praying for God to give insight. That as God is imploring someone, it might involve starting out with someone sharing their story and you just saying it's not your fault that's not the way it's supposed to be that's not sin has defined you and it shouldn't it might mean saying um hey can you tell me a little bit about that in our business meeting I heard you share something kind of off the cuff about something that's going on in your family can you share a little bit more about that Often sharing is inviting someone else to share and hearing where they're coming from and then praying for wisdom and discernment. God, how might you enter in here? God, how do you want to implore these people to put their faith in you through my broken attempt? Asking a question. Can you share more of your story? Or maybe as time goes on and you earn the ride and you become a friend and you say... And that doesn't have to be over, that could be in the moment of conversation from when you first meet someone at a bus stop, and you share, and you dialogue, and you say, yeah, can I share with you a little bit more about that, a little more about how how my identity has been shaped through my work, even though maybe I'm not proud of it naturally, Um, here's what God has been doing in me, or can I share this with you, can you come over to my house for dinner, I'd love for our families to meet. I'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Will you come with me on Easter? You know, you know I'm a Christian. We've been coworkers for a long time. We've been neighbors. I'd love for you to just come. And, you know, Easter's a big day for us. And I'd love for you to come and be a part of it. It'll be fun. And I just, I'd love to have you there. Invitation. Praying, God, how would you have me speak? Maybe words of exhortation. Maybe there's an arrogance and a pride there that someone needs to hear. Man, if you, you honestly think you're God right? And then good news enters in. The good news is you're not God. The good news is Jesus has laid his life down for you. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Will you put your faith in Jesus? Or do you want to hear a little more about that? Can we dialogue more? Can we get lunch together? I don't know the application point for you and me, but I know that every single one of us who have put our faith in Jesus, have been transformed by the Word of God, proclaimed, written, descended, dwelt, dead, ascended, and then commissioned so that we can be heralds of the King and His good news of transforming all things through the Word of God, preached, proclaimed, and responded to. Amen? Let's pray and respond together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for these high and lofty truths that uh, I admit are mysterious in many ways, but Lord, I pray you've kind of found a place in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that we can understand more and more that our words are not just something that's a part of our lives that you don't care about that You are a God of words, that You are the Word, that You came and dwelt among us and then You have called us to use our words for worship and for edification and for building up, Lord, for transformation. Lord, let us, let us use our words wisely as parents speaking to our kids. Let us carry Your Word of, 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 of identity and of redemption and of hope into their hearts and their lives. Lord, let us use our words to carry the good news of Jesus to our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers and in our rising up and in our laying down and in our going and in our coming in everything that we do. God, we confess we're fearful. We're shaking and trembling and anxious because these are hard and difficult things, but we understand that the power of God is displayed as you make your call through us, your trembling people, in order to display your power and authority by turning lost people into your children through faith in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.